0: Welcome back to Not Alone, a podcast about faith and mental wellness. We are so glad you're tuning in. Picking up from where we were a week ago, we are diving back into the subject of change. In this episode, we're going to talk about how change is ever present in our lives, how it's essential to Christian faith, and we'll also discuss the ways we contemplate change in our spiritual lives. To talk about these things, here are Michael, Evan, and Lindsay. Hello everyone and welcome back to another wonderful episode of season two of the Not Alone podcast, the podcast that explores faith and well-being. We are so excited to have you back here for our second episode of season two. Just a quick overview. We are changing up our format just a little bit. We're going to make some greater emphasis around rhythms of life. So we're going to try and release some shorter, more regular episodes uh, so that you can use this podcast as a tool to be able to engage with some of the rhythms of your life around faith and well-being. Now, we're obviously going to keep talking about mental health. Mental health is an incredibly important part of well-being, but there are some different things uh, that describing it as well-being allows us to enter into as well. So we are so grateful for you deciding to join us. I am Evan DeYoung and I'm joined by Lindsay Geist and Michael McCord here for our second episode where we're talking about change. Lindsay is a licensed clinician and a pastor in the North Georgia Conference of the Methodist Church. And Michael is a pastor in the South Georgia Conference of the United Methodist Church. He is a change strategist and he is also a serial vulnerability addict. So he loves being vulnerable and forcing people into situations where they express their vulnerability. Uh, so we are so excited to be back here to be talking about change. Now, last week, we did a quick overview of what change was from a clinical sense, that there wasn't an official clinical definition of change, but we went over the five stages of change, which were pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, and maintenance. Now, we'll go over those again, and we'll evaluate it, but this episode, we're going to be looking at what it means to incorporate our faith into our change. What does God say about change in our lives, our identity? How does it connect with the weekly rhythms of our life? So as we jump in, what is your gut reaction, your first impression when you think about change and faith, faith and change together? What does that look like for us?
1: It's huge
2: probably why we've paused so much right here. It's like, where do we even start um, with it all?
0: My initial reaction is actually negative, um, because I think that I have seen what God asks us to do in change in our lives, in growing, and repentance. I have seen that weaponized so often uh, in my time in, in the church, and I've done a, had a lot of conversations doing what I view as a lot of healing and repair around what God actually says about change. Um, And I have seen faith used as a way to manipulate people to change in the way that other people want them to do and not necessarily what I view to be aligned with what God actually calls us to do in change in our lives. Not to just take it negative right off the bat, but that's my first reaction, uh, is that when I think about spiritual change, I, I don't necessarily view it, in a positive sense, I, it's positive for me personally,, uh, but my initial reaction is this is a manipulative tool that I've seen abused.
1: I think that's fair. I think uh, if you go back to our last episode, I, I talked about how my uh, my love for change can sometimes make people feel like um, they're not good enough because I'm trying to improve on something, and that's a critique of who they are. Um, and I think you know, so much around spirituality about, about Christianity, um, particularly in our context, I should speak, uh, is, is around this idea of changing behaviors. There's a lot of like, there, there are a lot of, if, you know, if, if you're not a Christian, you're doing a lot of bad things, or even if you are a Christian, you're still wrestling with doing bad things or wrong things. And so much of energy in the faith tradition right now is about, what do you have to stop doing? Because mm-hmm. it's bad. Um, yep. which
0: behavior management
1: then makes you, it's, which is the difference between, you know, we talked about guilt and shame and, you know, guilt is that it, it starts off like I did a bad thing. I, I don't want to do that anymore. But if you keep hearing that over and over and over, you begin to believe that you yourself are bad, which is shame, that I'm bad. Not that I I'm a, a bad,
2: bad person. Mm-hmm.
1: And I think a lot of language around faith and, and change is around you're doing bad things. You need to stop doing them. Um, and I don't know that that is really what faith is about. it's not It's not about stopping things in so much as about being somebody different uh, and being and seeing yourself as someone different.
2: That really resonates with me. Um, in in my counseling work over the years, I have seen uh, how change can be weaponized sometimes that we always have to be refining. We always have to be changing. We always need to be healthier versions of ourselves. And um, we, a lot of Christians have become uncomfortable uh, with any static moments in their lives. Like I always need to be getting better at this, Um, which keeps us from being content if we're always striving to change and refine and get better, um, especially when we when we t- often talk about it from a spiritual standpoint, we always need to be getting better at our spiritual disciplines. Um, but we can easily start using that shame talk around that that i'm I'm lazy if I'm not getting better. I'm not loving God enough if I'm not always trying to improve.
0: I think for us, just for some context, we we all come from a Methodist Wesleyan tradition. I think it's really important for us to ask that question then, does God want us to change as people? I think that that's a core thing that we have to address, because I think Scripture is really clear that the essence of the Christian faith is rooted in change. It's this idea of repentance and new identity and new action and turning away and taking steps in another direction. But that's honestly both really freeing and extremely intimidating at the same time.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know that it... I mean, I guess this, I should not say this. I I, I'm going to say it just because I, you know... Because already I already set know. it up. I already Teeth set it up, out I did. it up. I said, I don't know whether it matters whether God thinks we should change or not. We are changing every day. We are. And, and by a set, I shouldn't say this, because God created us. So God, mm-hmm. we, have this, we have this ecosystem. <laughs> Everything around us is changing. And so, yeah, I think change is a very real part of, of our, our way of life. It's just, it's a reality that we find ourselves in.
2: I mean, I even think about, uh, even just hearing you say that, thinking about how change is so natural in our lives and the way that God designed us to be. I think about last season's episode on individuation, uh, Mm -hmm. when we, we are designed to leave our family or pod as we knew it and grow and discover who we are. And find our form, how we're connecting with other people in the world, and find our identity. Um, and that is a lot of change of trying to wrestle and find our identity of who we are and how we connect with others. Uh, my understanding is God has to be supportive and loving of us changing um, for that very reason, because we so naturally change. Uh, But then I think about all the scriptures that talk about refining the clay um, or, you know, restructuring, reshaping how how we can continue to be molded uh, and changed. Um, And that's not said in a negative way. That's like we're going to keep God is going to keep making us uh, into more of who we are. And more of who God wants us to be.
1: Yeah, I think so much of it is about your starting place.
2: Hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I think so for for me, I won't speak on anyone besides myself and my conceptualization of my faith tradition is that that I begin in the second uh chapter of Genesis at, and in a creation this what was often seen as a second creation story, where you see a creator, God, next to next to a stream bed, molding human life. And then there's this moment of intimacy where God presses lips against us and breathes into us the breath of life, and and we're good. Um, and so if your story begins with the idea that you are born, you were created good, and that along life's way we've encountered Experiences and um, decisions and implementations of decisions that we've made that have distorted maybe our original goodness, and and that's what we would describe as sin in the world. Bad collections of bad decisions and yearnings and desires and 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 that that our that faith and our creator is really about recreating us, making us good mm-hmm. again, restoring what's good in us as opposed to saying what is originally about you is bad and you need to be something entirely different and there are some faith traditions that use that kind of language and you might have you might have heard those as a, as a child that you just need to you need to turn or burn there's all kinds of like you know just phrases that we try to use to describe faith but so so i would say yes that god is moving and god is with us and we are changing and god longs for us to be better to be and by better, I don't mean like some, be able to run a race faster, but be be healthier, mm. be more well.
0: So our ability to change is an inherent strength in the way that we were created. That's right.
2: Mm, yeah.
0: yeah. Why do I not like it so much then? <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I think. I mean, in a lot of ways, we we have associated change with "I am," even the church, especially "I am sinful and terrible," um, and and so there's a lot of shame language we use of what should motivate us to change. Is uh, I should feel ashamed of doing the unhealthy things. Um, instead of even some positive self-talk of, uh, I want to be an even healthier version of myself. And so I change, uh, because I want to be, yeah, again, a healthier, more satisfied, more comfortable version of myself.
0: I wonder too, if our first introduction generally is persons of faith or if you went to Sunday school in the church or youth group or sat and listened to the sermon, it seems like we focus on the behavior and consequence management aspect of change over the positive identity. We talk about what we shouldn't be doing and who we shouldn't be over what we should be becoming um, because we want to help people avoid Long-term consequences I think you see this a lot I grew up in the late 90s Early 2000s in youth group And so much of what we talked about About God There was some identity stuff in there But it was just so deeply rooted In being different than the world around us because we don't want to have these behaviors and you don't want to have these consequences. You don't want to have a, a pregnancy out of wedlock. You don't want to be the person who's seen as a partier. So you need to avoid these specific activities. Uh, and the identity stuff, it's like, well, we can't deal with the identity stuff until we make sure that these behaviors aren't happening. When it seems like if we deal with the identity stuff, the behavior follows, but maybe that seems too nuanced for like a six-year-old who's you know, smacking their friend with a stick. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, stop actively hitting someone with a stick, and then we can worry about your identity. And so it seems like we're just not very good as faith communities at managing the natural identity and structure of change that results in action, because we're busy. And when you've got 15 kids in a Sunday school room, you just have to stop the bad behavior, and it's hard to teach the identity stuff. So I'm wondering where the disconnect happened with the fabric of our identity and this idea that God breathed life into us and we were good, and then just telling the world what they should do because we're Christians, and so we inherently feel like we know better what to do about everything else in the world around us, and so you should listen to us because we have ultimate spiritual authority as given to us by God on high, so how dare you question it? You know what I mean?
1: Well, there's a lot right there, <laughs> and so much. Like, it just took me back to my youth group days. Um, you know, I think um, what what I hear you saying is that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that because I'm really going to try to generalize here, but I'm going to what I hear. I think you hear you saying is that so much about faith and relationship in, in Christianity right now is transactional in nature, oh, yeah. not relational. And it is that if, and and there's almost this bargaining that I see happen, where if you do this, this, and this, then God will love you. And you will not go to wherever. You won't go to hell. You won't get that. You'll, or or the reverse is if you do this and this, God's going to shower you in blessings. Like there's a lot of transactional relationship here, that's in the and faith kind tradition. of
2: absolutes. Yeah, uh, very binary. Either, yeah, yeah, I mean, totally binary. There's either this option or this option. There is no and there are
1: like really bad ends. It's like if you don't, if you don't, if you if you happen to get a girl pregnant as a teenager out of marriage, you're going to hell. Like you're in this, like, so there's this immense pressure on people in our children to get everything right. Mm -hmm. And I think what I also heard you say, Evan, is that, uh, that getting things right is an outcome of a good relationship. Right? So, but getting everything right doesn't mean you'll have a good relationship.
0: Yeah, I would agree.
2: And we can be afraid to change out of fear of failure. I mean, it's also what I'm hearing out of this. Because there's only the binary options, we can be totally paralyzed. And, and we're going about change for so many unhealthy reasons. We're changing to avoid something, uh, rather than asking ourselves, why are we really changing?
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Are we changing because God loves us um, and wants us to wrestle with things and uh, become even more comfortable in our skin and making healthier choices and, uh, and being healthier versions of ourselves? Are we doing things because we're afraid of what the consequences are?
1: Right. Just it's, We know this in addiction work, right? That that mm-hmm. if, if, if we force uh, someone to go to get to recovery, the chances of them being successful, fruitful, and long-lasting that recovery are pretty slim. But if they choose themselves because they've recognized, they've pre-contemplated, and then they've contemplated this addiction, and then they take action to go get help. That it's much more likely that that will have a fruitful outcome. And so, if we know that about addiction, why do we not recognize that about faith and the change that faith calls us to do in our lives? Is that you can't, it takes that relationship, that contemplation and pre contemplation, and then a decision to act. Um,
2: so it made me just start thinking about even uh, we are called to make disciples of the United Methodist church says we are called to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world is the official tagline. All right. um, <laughs> I know. Aren't you proud of me for saying that out loud, but uh, as, as people who love God, we often want other people to also get to know and love God. Um, And people that don't have that faith belief might go through some of these stages that it's not like one day, all of a sudden, yes, I believe that there's something greater than me. And it is the God that we know and love Um, there might be some pre-contemplation and contemplation and then even preparation. What do I need to do if I want to embrace this belief? While the stages of change work most often and were really designed around a lot of behavioral change, um, I think that sometimes they, they can equate, uh, even to our change of thought patterns, um, and some of our belief systems.
0: Mm-hmm. So to answer our question that we posed earlier, we would answer, yes, God does want us to change, but it's not because He threw us into the world and said, you need to figure it out, but it's that He created us to change, and it's a, it's a strength, and it's an opportunity, and it's what makes us made in God's image is the ability to to reason and to think and to change. And we believe that we have a soul that interacts with that. But at the same time, it's happening. We're always changing. So it's not a matter of if we want to change. It's a matter of are you going to engage with the process of change in your life or not? And so what does it look like? when we think about faith, to incorporate that idea into our life. What does it look like to have faith and to incorporate that into the ever-going process of change in our life? And what does God expect from us?
1: I think I like what, what you said. It led me to think about, you know, so, so change is changes happening and you are changing, uh, the same thing is true about faith. Faith is happening, and you're part of it. You, you have faith in things, in people, in ideas, and values, and some of you have, have faith in a creator. And, and I think, too, in the same way, like, so, so it's about choosing what you want to spend your faith energy on and your change energy on, um, and allowing that to come out of, like, this, this longing to be whole and to be healthy and to be um, in relationship with our Creator and with our neighbors. Like if that's the source of change, if that's the well you're drawing from, then then change is a much more change and I will say faith, by the way too, is a much more real thing and that than if if you're constantly if you're coming out of a place that you're wrong or you're broken or you need to be fixed or you're you know, that that, that sort of a theological term is depravity, totally depraved, that, that you're just totally bad, that you've got... And, and um, if that kind of language, it's really hard to make change in a place where you feel like you can never win. Mm. Um, but if you're, in, if you're making change out of a place where you feel like, I'm in this relationship that is changing me, that's encouraging me, and I've gotten surrounded by people who are with me, then I can make change out of that. And that's probably going to be more healthy in the long run.
0: I love what you said about that, like that feeling of never winning. Like, I feel like I never win in change. Lindsay, I know that you've spoken uh, uh, about a lot of experiences that you've had with folks that you've talked with who you just feel like you're you're never winning. It's never enough. We take this idea of Christian perfection, which is, uh, Christian perfection is, the term, what, what do we do with the phrase, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, right? Like that is that is the, the, the key phrase that we're trying to examine. And how you define that I think influences a lot about how we think about change and it's passive and active nature in our lives.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm still soaking it in. Um, I'm soaking it in because, I I think about the phrase Christian perfection and how much, uh, that phrase can be misunderstood and mess with our heads. um, that as human beings, like from a clinical standpoint, we really struggle with the idea of perfection. And um, so being perfected in any sort of way, even being perfected in love, we can start uh, getting really, I don't know, confused about or uh, mess up that phrase versus uh, Moving towards, we're going to use real Methodist lingo, moving towards sanctification. Um,
0: uh, Which is what?
2: That we're, I'm trying to put real common language, that we are constantly uh, being refined in beautiful, good ways uh, in our response to God's love for us. Um,
0: that was good. <laughs> That's <was> really good. <laughs>
2: And and so um, I think when we think more about the sanctification part of it, uh, sanctifying grace, uh, I can think more about the journey rather than this perfected in love that we've co-opted the word perfection and believe that this is an actual attainable thing for us to be perfect in some way versus a moving towards moment.
1: So I spent a lot of time after our last episode thinking about uh, this episode and this idea of theology and the the system that you gave us last time about change, this the five steps in change. And thinking about the... So I'm going to walk you through a little Methodist grace theory here. Is so we have these three prominent forms of grace in our life. Uh, we talked last episode about prevenient grace, which is this grace that exists uh, for us before we even can recognize it. It's like pre-contemplation that change is coming, that something new is about to happen. And then, and then we start to contemplate that. We recognize, we see this happening, this change happening, um, and that we're, we're thinking about making that change, and then action us is justifying grace, where we recognize and we take action and ownership that God loves us unconditionally, that God forgives us of the things that come up short in our life, and God longs to make us whole again, to make us feel comfortable in our own skin, to see that God looked at us and said we're good. That's justifying grace. And then, uh, then sanctifying grace is this idea of perfecting grace, which is what I would say is, is kind of like maintenance. It's that stage where you've made this change, but, and, and yet you're not there yet. You're there, but you're not there yet, and you're on a journey. And sanctifying grace is that, that grace that stays with us in the journey and calls us to continue to recognize that God loves us unconditionally, that God made us for good, and that we have the capability of, of doing good in the world. And loving each other the way God loves us, that's the idea of sanctifying grace and the idea of maintenance and change plan and so God for us at least the way we've sort of structured grace um, in the in our tradition at least kind of lines up with those five steps of of, of change um, and I think it, it kind of it was it was just interesting to think about as I was thinking mm-hmm. between last episode and this episode.
0: Hmm. Michael, one of the things that you have emphasized uh, over the years Especially in moments of teaching and uh, activity in small groups uh, is the lost art in the Protestant tradition of confession and how essential it is for sanctification. I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about w- what role you feel like that plays for us as Christians in our spiritual life and talk a little bit about how you've feel like it's been underdeveloped in evangelical and Protestant traditions compared to, like, confession in, like, the the Catholic Church or um, in our more Orthodox friends' traditions.
1: Well, I think it's, it's it's uh, I appreciate you for bringing that up, because it is, it's really, to me, one of the most powerful practices that we have to offer people that we, we shy away, because I think, there was a moment in history at least where confession was transactional in nature. And it was, it was, you know, if you say this and then you'll get do this and then this will happen kind of thing. And what's lost in it when the Protestants sort of drop that off, um, and confession by the way, is where you would go meet a priest and and in confidence in in, in a confidential setting just be able to say in a hidden, a veiled setting, um, say exactly what you've done wrong. And, and to limit that, to be, to be vulnerable, vulnerable enough to say it out loud. And what I found over the years is um, that the bad things that we do often hurt us more than they hurt the people that we do bad things to. And we hold on to it. It's that shame. And we begin to believe that we're a bad person. And for someone to stand there and listen, and you say, I did this, and I'm so sad I did, is one of the most powerful sort of steps towards healing that you can offer yourself. And our church has sort of gotten you know, away from that. And so we think, especially, I'll say in my tradition, we think often in abstracts. For I have done lots of things that are wrong. I, I could write a prayer right now, a prayer confession. We have not done this. We have not done your will. We have failed to hurt, help those who need help. We have not closed the hungry clothe the hungry, fed the hungry, or clothe the naked. Like, we can talk of these sort of grandiose, like, philosophical, big ideas of things we haven't failed to do, but didn't say, I cheated on my spouse, or I, I, I went to jail because I committed a crime, or I um, stole from my company because I needed because I wanted more money. I mean, there, there's some very specific, like, like, and until you can get specific, until an alcoholic says, I'm an alcoholic and I need help, it's really hard to get the kind of help and the relief that you're searching for.
2: Hearing you say that has made me think about these stages in a way that confession might be an integral part of contemplation. Contemplating this change, um, to really be ready and decide to make that change will most likely involve us confessing that we have done something wrong or something has happened. Um, even, and this is stepping off from confession a little bit, but confessing to ourselves these feelings and thoughts that we have, um, that even feelings of uh, guilt or shame or embarrassment around things, uh, being honest and vulnerable and authentic with ourselves about those things, and then taking them to others of these were the things that were driving me to not want to change or be fearful of change. Um, and then helping us move into uh, making that decision mm-hmm. and moving forward forward in change
0: yeah i'm wondering the, the the correlation between change and healing because i think they're two different mm. things but they need each other uh, and i think a lot of our spiritual change in our lives revolves around healing i think that this jesus talked a lot about how um we he used the the, the analogy of physical illness right like if you're well, and you feel good, you don't go see a doctor. And he said, I'm just here to tell you, that's not the case. Like, we're not, there's not this state of complete health, and then there's a state of complete sickness. There's moments where we're more aware of it, but change and healing process is what we're made for, what we're equipped for, and it's a strength and a process that, that we need to be engaged with. But when we remove ourselves from confession, and we remove ourselves from change, then I worry that I remove myself from the healing process and I'm more comfortable living in my brokenness because it's familiar than I am engaging with the healing process, which then opens up my ability to be there for the world around me in the same place because I've closed the door on myself. So if I'm ignoring it myself, how can I realistically, authentically engage with the world around me? I love what Michael said uh, the longing to be whole with our creator and with our neighbor that's kind of my takeaway uh, from from this episode is that what does it look like for me to be whole with my creator and with my neighbor and the fact that I can't I can't separate the two um, and so thanks Michael now I have a lot of thinking to do
1: yeah especially since so you have a new neighborhood so you've got to go meet all those neighbors and be whole with them
0: uh, global pandemic See, that's her too. The rate of neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> I have some lovely neighbors who have been very kind, but it's, you know, yelling at each other from 10 feet away. <laughs>
1: Not quite the same thing. With that only your eyes visible. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. That's right.
2: I like thinking about how good God uh, designed us in this beauty of change. Um, that... In some ways, from the very beginning, God did not expect us to be stagnant.
0: Hmm.
2: I'm going to be wrestling a lot this week um, about about that. That how? Yeah, I, I still haven't finished finding all my language around it. <laughs> <It's> something <laughs> I that I need sure. to finish thinking about.
1: Yeah, I think um, as we kind of think about this segment, I I, I want to just first say that you are okay. You are good. And when God created you, in my faith tradition, in my experience, when God created you and breathed breath into your life, um, God looked at you and said, you're good, and still thinks you're good, and sees the good mm. in you. And my hope and my prayer for all of us is that we find places in our life where we can be vulnerable with each other, where we can be confessional with each other, so that that woundedness that lives in us um, can find some kind of balm. And, and, and sunlight and relationship and friendship and confidentiality with someone is one of the greatest balms you can give. Uh, your, your body, your, your heart, in those kinds of, of injuries. Um, and so I think that's where we should start, is, is to focus on, I think real change comes out of relationship. When you're talking theology, theological change, spiritual change, that comes out of relationship. It comes out of relationship with people in your life, it comes out of relationship with your Creator, and out of that place, uh, God will move in you and give you people to come with you and help to make your life a, a sense of peace and wholeness that you've been, you've been longing for. Hmm.
0: Well, I wanna say th- thanks for uh, all the conversation and your friendship, as always. Uh, thanks to Justin Patton, who produced this episode and did all the music and all the wizardry that goes into everything. Thanks, Justin, for everything that you do for us. Um, and thanks for who you are. You're good, Justin. You're good. And as always, uh, we appreciate all feedback and um, subscribing and uh, reviewing the podcast. It really helps us to uh, shape what the future looks like uh, here in Season 2. We're having a blast. I'm just going to make the unilateral decision for all of us. We're having a blast here in our second season as we focus on faith and well-being. And we're looking forward to our next episode where we're going to get into the practical aspects of change. How do we make change stick? How do we deal with our fear of change? Uh, The actual nitty-gritty. So now that we have... uh, gone through the five stages of change in our minds for two episodes in Practical and Faith, we'll talk about what it looks like to actually be a part of change for ourselves, our churches, our families, the organizations that we're a part of. So I'm really looking forward to discussing that and learning more next week. So thanks, everyone. We will see you next episode as we talk about practical ways to interact with change in our life. Bye-bye!